Well, good morning. Welcome to South Hills Church. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad that you are here. Uh, man, good worship this morning, right? This reminder, it always strikes me. It, as we've talked about these conversations this summer, and as we've looked at different individuals that Jesus had conversations with, whether it was uh, the woman at the well or his parents or it was Thomas um, or last week we saw Mary and Martha or before that Nicodemus, what I love about these conversations and these encounters that Jesus had with individuals is that uh, behind the scenes, whether they realized it or not, Jesus was pursuing these individuals, these people. And as I've gone through my life, what I recognize more and more, and what I'm so thankful for, is that God is the one who is pursuing us. So many times we think that it's, well, I'm going to get to God, that I'm going to get to this place where I'm a better person, I'm a good person, I'm in this place And when I get to that place, then I can get to God. And the reality is that God is constantly, consistently pursuing us. Pursuing us. Why would he do that? Why would he pursue me? I am like the worst person in the world in my heart. And he said, I'm going to pursue you. And when he has these conversations with these individuals... What I know and what I read is that when they had those conversations with Jesus, they could not leave that conversation without being changed. That as Jesus spoke into their life, they walked away from those changed. Now, some of those changes we see immediately. We see the woman at the well, and she goes into the city, and and she is changed. She is telling people about this conversation that she had with Jesus We see it maybe with Nicodemus as well, that later on in Nicodemus' life, he came to this understanding of who Jesus really was. Thomas, Thomas who struggled with this idea of faith and doubt, but but changed ultimately. And as Carl read the passage that we're going to look at in John chapter 12 this morning, and he mentions in that passage one name, one name. And when you heard that name, you thought already, you started creating in your mind, what about that conversation could we possibly learn? Because when we think about Judas, we think about Judas as one of those infamous betrayers, right? He's Benedict Arnold, he's, he's Brutus, right, et tu, Brute, you know, the stab in the back kind of guy. And so immediately, when we hear that name Judas, we wonder, what could we possibly What could we possibly learn? Obviously, Judas, like, he wasn't changed. There's nothing different about his life. In fact, we'll talk about it a little bit. John gives us even a little more commentary on John from our passage. What could we possibly learn? Here's the thought for this morning. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worth it? wasting your life. Is he? And I think that's a question we all have to wrestle with. The songs this morning pointed us in that direction. And as we come into this place, we would say, yes, Jesus is worth it. And yet, I know in my own life, 
many times my life reflects more of Judas than it does of Mary. Now, here's the interesting thing about John. When John writes, John writes in contrast. Uh, Pastor Jim talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about Nicodemus. What you find in the book of John is contrast. And so you see like light and darkness. And John uses that throughout um, the scripture here in chapter, uh, in John. Contrast of light and dark. But he also uses people. And there's a contrast that we find in John chapter 12 between Mary and John. There's also a contrast later on if you jump over to the next chapter of John, John chapter 13. What's interesting about this place in John 12 Mary is pouring out on Jesus' feet and washing Jesus' feet. In chapter 13, Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet. And amongst those disciples whose feet Jesus will wash is Judas. The contrast between what Mary does and then what Jesus models in chapter 13 is the contrast that John points to throughout his writing. And so in John chapter 12, we have these contrasts. And what we find in the opening verses of John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The first two verses of John chapter 12 give us a bunch of information. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So there's a lot of information that John is giving us at the outset of our passage. One, it's six days away from Passover, and there's going to be a lot that happens over the next six days as it relates to Jesus, because we're going to move into the time of the triumphal entry, we're going to move into Passover, we're going to move into the arrest of Jesus, the garden, the Last Supper, crucifixion, all those things are going to happen over the next week's time. But there's also this uh, snippet that John gives us to remind us that just prior to John chapter 12, something amazing had happened, and Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, if you don't know that story, Lazarus was dead. They sent word to Jesus. Jesus tarries a little bit. He gets there after they have buried Lazarus. And when Jesus shows up, Martha, Martha has a question for Jesus like, why weren't you here earlier? And Jesus says, hey, you know what? Let's open up that tomb and let's, let's just call Lazarus out. And Martha says, wait a minute. Don't you know if we open up that tomb, it's going to stink It's going to smell. He's been dead for a while. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus walking out of the tomb. And just so that you know that it wasn't a one-day event that Lazarus walked out of the tomb and then he went back into the tomb, John tells you, guess who's sitting at dinner with us? It's Lazarus, the one who was dead is reclining at the table and eating with us. So don't miss that. Lazarus was there. He wasn't just out of the tomb, in the tomb, like Jesus said, come out, Lazarus, and then said, Lazarus, go back in. You, You need to be dead. No, he's there reclining and eating. We also pick up the story from where Pastor Brian was last week. We're in the middle of what we talked about last week. Martha, again, is serving And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. 
And so all of that is wrapped up in these first couple of verses. And then we get to verse 3. The group is gathered in the home. They're enjoying the meal. And the first of our contrast shows up. Here's what it says in verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The fragrance of the perfume. And her actions, her actions are quickly followed by Jesus' response in verse 5. Judas says this, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And we would say, great response, Judas. Here's the first contrast this morning. Extravagant love over excessive disdain. Are you willing to waste your life on Jesus? And if you are, then your life will be about extravagant love over excessive disdain. You see, you can hear the reaction in the room when Mary opens up her box of perfume or her bottle of perfume and she pours it all out on Jesus' feet. You can hear the reactions of everybody as as she does that and it reverberates through the room. What are you doing? Why are you wasting all of that perfume on Jesus' feet? Why would you do that? What is she doing wasting that entire bottle? And that aroma fills the air. I I think about it. It may very well have been uh, what many teen moms and dads in the 80s and 90s experienced when their boys walked out of their bedrooms and they were in a cloud of Drakkar or Polo or their daughters walked out in a cloud of Aquanet, right? In the 80s and 90s, you know. We used, to, we used to spray the, perfu- the, the cologne, the Drakkar, I'd spray it out and then I'd walk through it because, man, when I got to school, it was, I mean, it's going to be amazing, yeah. right? That's what I think about. Like, that's the smell. That's the aroma that fills the room. And everybody is sitting there and saying, this aroma that's filling the room is wasting away on Jesus' feet, And at that moment, Judas only sees waste on Mary's part. The perfume could have been put put to better use. It was of too great a value to waste it pouring on Jesus' feet. You see, his disdain, Judas' disdain is shrouded in an element of concern for the poor. He stands in disbelief. To Judas, Jesus is someone that he knows He's not necessarily someone he's in love with. There isn't this extravagant love for Jesus on Judas' part because when Mary pours out it, he says, it's not worth wasting it on Jesus. You see, many times, many times people will ask, why? Why are you wasting your life on Jesus? In an age where people are deconstructing their faith and the tenets of truth from God's holy word, their questions become, why would anyone, why would anyone waste their life on Jesus? He's not worth the energy. He's not worth the effort. And what they're really asking, what they're really saying is, 
ultimately have a disdain, not a love for a Savior who is worth it. A Savior who has only consistently shown love and compassion to us. When I was 23 years old, I was at a crossroads in my life. I had graduated college. Um, I was pursuing my preferred career. And uh, that summer, as I turned 23, that summer, that preferred career was still nowhere to be seen. And so I took a job uh, through a friend at a, a job placement service. Super exciting. I was answering phones. I was filing papers. And uh, it, was, it was super mundane. I mean, I was just living. I was driving 20, 30, hour, 30 minutes a day to that job and uh, sitting at the front desk because people would come in and, toot, you know, like file papers, just this rigmarole of stuff. And I was at the same time reading a book by Rick Warren called Purpose Driven Church. And at lunchtime, I would take my, that book and I would sit and read it. And during the course of the summer, that, that company offered me a job. They offered me a job, pretty lucrative for a 23-year-old, I thought, at the time. And uh, what I would be doing was being uh, a job recruiter. I would go to colleges and do job fairs, and I'd get to travel, and, and they would pay me lots of money. And at the same time, I was reading this book, and I was sensing God calling me in a different direction, and I was at a crossroads. I was at a crossroads of which path do I choose? Do I choose the lucrative position that I don't know what it would have amounted to, or do I choose this path where I felt like God was leading me? And uh, I made a choice. Into that summer, I visited a seminary, and uh, three weeks later, I packed up my stuff, and I moved to that seminary. I tell the story. I was in class two weeks, and I got my acceptance letter to seminary. That's how quickly I made that move, and uh, I was following what God was calling me to. And my mom had a friend who asked this question, why? Why would he give up the lucrative job to go do that? To go do what? To go waste my life on Jesus? 20 plus years later, I can tell you I am thankful for the choice that I made to waste my life on Jesus. <laughs> Because in that decision, in that decision, God began to do all kinds of things. Now, we wrestled and we argued and we fought, God and I. He probably won most of the time. But 20 years later, I look at that, and that choice led me to my wife, my kids, this church, this opportunity to share with all that I have at the feet of Jesus. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth pouring everything that we have out to him? How extravagant, how extravagant is your love for Jesus? How worthy is he to you of the most precious things in your life? How willing are you to throw all of that at his feet? Where others are saying, why are you wasting and you fill in the blank? on Jesus. Please do not answer so quickly. Do not be so self-assured that your love for Jesus is extravagant. 
I know for me there are many days that my love for Jesus resembles that of Judas. I can certainly be counted as one who sits at the feet of Jesus just as Judas does, but I am truly willing, but am I truly willing to waste all of me for Jesus? The Bible tells us of another individual who was at a crossroads. We refer to him as the rich young ruler. He had it all. I mean, he was the coolest guy in town. He drove the best car. He had the finest clothes. People flocked around him. He had a billion TikTok followers. I mean, he was huge. Pastor Scott, in a couple weeks, is going to unpack this conversation a little bit more. But briefly here, he had a question for Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And here was Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10, 21. Looking at him, notice Jesus loved him. Do not miss that fact. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You lack one thing. You lack one thing. What was Jesus saying to the rich young ruler? He was saying, are you willing Are you willing to waste everything that you have to give it all up to follow me? And Jesus says that to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler says, it's not. And he walks away, discouraged with his own things, and he says, I'm not willing to waste my life on Jesus Instead of extravagant love, Jesus is met with excessive disdain. He runs off dismayed at the request of Jesus. And so for you, do you have extravagant love or excessive disdain for Jesus? The second contrast we see in our passage this morning is that of self-sacrifice over self-service. You see, when it comes to wasting our life on Jesus, it comes down to, are we willing to sacrifice all that we have and are for a kingdom purpose? Or are we going to hold fast to what we want? Judas looked at the spilled perfume and he said, we could, have, we could have made a killing selling that perfume, and that perfume could have been used on the poor. And now here's where John adds in his little commentary. He He says in verse 5, Why wasn't this perfume sold, Judas, talking here, for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John adds in verse 6, He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Now, this is hindsight on John's part. Okay, you understand that as John sits there with Judas and this is, these events are taking place, John doesn't fully know all that Judas is up to. John can write this from a historical perspective and saying, here's what happened with Judas. But in that moment, Judas is not alone. When the spilled perfume comes, Judas is not the only one who says, wait a minute. The other gospels tell us that most, many of the other disciples chimed in with the same thought. They said the same thing. They were with Judas. They were like, wait a minute, that's wasting on Jesus. We could have given it to the poor. Is it about self-sacrifice over self-service? Judas, it would seem, was well concerned about personal gain over personal sacrifice. 
He might have been someone who was only looking out for himself. He wanted better things. Maybe he looked at what following Jesus had brought over the last several years, and for the first time he saw an opportunity to to profit financially from it. And Mary goes and spills it all over the floor. In fact, Judas maybe even had this thought. A friend of mine was sharing with me this thought about Judas, that Judas was excited about Jesus becoming that, that military leader, that prominent leader in in Jerusalem. And Judas is trying to set himself up to be the treasurer, secretary treasurer, in that moment because he's super concerned about the money. Judas has personal gain in mind. If Jesus is going to set up a huge kingdom, I want to be right there with him. I want to be in charge as well. Mary had sacrificed everything she had out of her extravagant love for Jesus And it had led her to pour it on his feet while Judas was thinking about himself. Watchman Nee, in a collection of his sermons entitled The Normal Normal Christian Life, writes this. Whatever we have as an alabaster box, the most precious thing, the thing dearest in the world to us. Yes, let me say it. The outflow from us of a life that is produced by the very cross itself We give that all up to the Lord, to some, even those who should understand it seems a waste, but that is what he seeks above all. What Jesus seeks above all else is what seems odd to everyone around us, that we would give up everything to follow after Jesus, even to those within the church it will seem odd. Does, really, does Jesus really expect us to give up everything? Does he expect us to share the most precious of those things in our lives so that we can have all of Jesus? You see, we can't feign our concern for the world around us, our community, our neighbors, or even our family. We can proclaim the world needs Jesus. We can gather in our buildings for worship and fail to understand that what Jesus seeks above all else is all of us. All of us. He desires that we would give up that which is most precious in our lives for his greatest treasure, Jesus You realize that when you give up those things that you hold on to that you think are most precious and you give all those things up and you you lay them at the feet of Jesus, you, you pour it out before him, guess what? You get a greater treasure than you could ever imagine. Jesus, Jesus who transforms our lives. Jesus who gave himself for us on the cross. That's the treasure that you receive when you give up everything. It's far better than anything that I could have in this world. It's better than anything that you could ever imagine, that treasure that is Jesus. And so, are you into self-sacrifice or self-service? Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and following. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? 
Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The aroma of Mary's sacrifice fills the room. It was undeniable. The same aroma, that same aroma should fill our churches. The aroma of self-sacrifice for the purpose of the kingdom of God should be the expression of our extravagant love. It is as we give up that which is most precious that God begins to transform us. Who we are and how we approach this life, we can get caught up as Judas and the disciples did in the waste of such extravagance on Jesus. But it is when we begin to give up that self-serving attitude to Christ that we become the sweet aroma to people. Paul shares it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Do you understand, church, that as we give out of self-sacrifice, that we become the aroma of Christ to the world around us, those that are saved and those that are perishing, that is our privilege. As we take hold of the treasure of Jesus, we become this aroma to the world around us. Those that are hurting, those that are aching, those that are dying, we are this sweet aroma that people smell Jesus. Out of our extravagant love, And our sacrifice comes the opportunity to present before others the wonderful saving grace of Jesus. As we think about others, as we release our wants and desires, as we seek his face with each of our days, we are transformed into the very one we are following. As the church steps into the reality that it is our love for him that drives our pursuit to give sacrificially of our lives so that others might know him, there we begin to live within our kingdom purpose. The gospel then becomes alive to the world around us. And then in verse 8, we see Jesus' response to Judas and the others. In verse 8, Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And here's the final contrast in our passage this morning. Humble hearts over prideful piety. Now let me say at the outset of this contrast, there's, there's a bit of nuance when it comes to piety. Because I believe that we are to be reverent. We are to have a healthy understanding of our devotion to Christ and His church. The, the spiritual formation aspect of our piety draws us toward our right relationship with God. And those are all good things, good aspects of our piety. Just as service to the kingdom and knowledge are rightly placed. However, if we are not careful, our piety can also mask our true motives. In the case of Judas, his concern for the use of the perfume on Jesus is stated in the context of being able to have compassion on the poor. And obviously, our piety, our devotion to the gospel would lead us to acts of kindness and helpfulness to the poor. 
But John dispelled Judas's true concerns in verse 6. We looked at that. While piety can bring about greater expression of our faith, prideful piety is a great deal of what Jesus spoke out against amongst some of his harshest critics. The religious leaders of his day were prime examples of prideful piety. They, their devotion to God masked an underlying desire to stand out as better, higher in authority and willing to extend the truth of God's Word to accomplish their own selfish motives. And it led Jesus to speak out against them. In Matthew 12, 34, he said, brood of vipers, exclamation point. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. You see, prideful piety can get to the place where it masks all kinds of things. We can look like we're doing kind, compassionate things for the kingdom, and yet what they really are doing is masking something much deeper. I'm doing those things because I want everybody to see how good I am. I wanted to see how much. We used to carry these huge Bibles. And I thought oftentimes when I would see somebody carrying this huge Bible, it's like, what are they trying to prove to me? That they have a huge Bible? It made no difference because they probably weren't reading it. It just looked good as they carried it into church. Look at my big Bible. You know, look how devoted I am to Jesus. And so oftentimes we allow our devotion to mask this pride that wells up inside of who we are. I'm doing these things so that people will see what I do. How can I accomplish? How can I get the gold medal standard, right? We're in the Olympics. I'm looking for that gold medal standard of Christianity. And so I start to puff myself up until the place where everybody's looking at me and say, man, that person's a pretty good Christian. And yet deep in their hearts, there's this pride, this evil that is in there. Judas sat amongst the disciples. You would say, well, Judas must have been a Christ follower. He's sitting with all the other disciples. And John lets you know the character of Judas didn't match the outward expression of Judas. In contrast is the humble heart of Mary. Mary's devotion we would classify as pure devotion, untainted by the pridefulness that Judas exhibits. Mary's humble heart is what it looks like to waste your life on Jesus the concern is still for the poor, but the motive is out of our devotion to Christ, not out of how we might look should we give to the poor. If we're going to choose to waste our life on Jesus with extravagant love, with self-sacrifice, then humility, humility must be a part of the equation as well. Jesus, Jesus models that in chapter 13. I mentioned it earlier. The contrast that comes is Jesus models humility, what it is to be a humble leader, He takes a bowl and he fills it with water and he takes a towel and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Judas, as Jesus is washing his feet and Judas has just had this thought, we could have given it to the poor, but what he was really thinking is I could make a bundle on this. And Jesus is washing Judas' feet. The humility that Judas encounters from Jesus. Judas is thinking powerful king kind of Jesus, ruler over all things. And Jesus kneels down and he says, this is what my kingdom is about. It's about humility. It's about making yourself less and about making me more. 
in your life. It's about washing those that are least of these. It's about washing the disciple who I know is going to betray me. And yet my love for you runs deep, Judas. It's for those people around us who would say, well, I'll wash their feet, but I won't wash theirs. No, Jesus said your extravagant love is for those people who you would say, I wouldn't wash their feet within 10 miles of them. That's the extravagant love. That's the self-sacrifice. That's the humble heart that we have to have as we come before Jesus and we say, I'm going to waste everything on you. My devotion to Christ is not about what I can make of myself. It's about what I can make of Jesus with my life. My devotion is not about what I can earn from Christ. It's about what he has already earned for me. My devotion is not about doing my own thing, but about zealous obedience to Christ and his purposes. My devotion is about a pursuit to be more like Jesus, not because I can make it happen on my own efforts, but because Christ is the one who transforms hearts. You see, as we humble our hearts, we begin to allow God to slide away our pride where my devotion resets in my pursuit of Christ. It is in this humility that I understand that Jesus is truly worthy of wasting my life on him. The pursuits of this world, Scripture is very clear, all have a similar end. They lead to emptiness, strife, anxiety, hurt, a lack of satisfaction. Even pious pursuits, crafted by our own thinking, can begin to create the same things. Yet it's within this framework of humility where we, as Peter points out, we clothe ourselves. Humility is something that God's grace gives us as we devote ourselves to Him. Judas covered his pride with a surface concern for the poor, an admirable and worthwhile endeavor for any of us, but the root of that heart revealed a thief and a cheat. In Psalm 147, 10 and 11, we read this. He is not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. I, I ran across this as I was studying this week, and, and I've probably read it before, but it captured my attention. And then I found uh, a conversation that Dallas Willard wrote in commenting about this passage. He says this, God has a plan for our life, a plan for our life that goes beyond, that goes beyond anything we can work out and secure by means of strong horses and good legs. God has a plan that goes beyond anything we can work out and secure by means of strong horses and good legs. We simply have to rest in His life as He gives it to us. Rest in His life as He gives it to us. We've seen it throughout these conversations, the reminder that it is not about what we do, but all about what Christ has already done. Now it's up to us to face the reality. Am I ready? Am I ready to waste my life on Jesus? I know, I know there is a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, generations before us, who said Jesus was worth it. 
I gave everything to follow after Jesus. And when my time on earth was done and I met Jesus face to face, I knew that I had, I had the greatest treasure ever. There's a great cloud of witnesses who have served South Hills Church for many, many years who've gone on to be with Jesus. And they would say today, he was worth it. He was worth wasting my life on to give up the good things of this world, to be extravagantly in love with Jesus, to be self-sacrificing, to be those of humble hearts. Please do not miss the power of conversations. You have the opportunity to be the sweet aroma to the world around us, to have the opportunity to speak to people, to have open-ended conversations, to share with them what it means to you to waste your life on Jesus, to have extravagant love, to be self-sacrificing, to be humble of heart. This morning, let that be our pursuit as a church and as individuals that we would say, Jesus is worth wasting our life on. Will you pray with me, Father God? It is not always easy. In fact, it goes against everything that we think about in our hearts and our minds because we are fed an idea of what we can accomplish in this world by our own means, by our own uh, efforts, by everything that we would do to pursue the life that we would want. And when we're faced with the reality of what it would look like to give it all, all of my life to you, we wrestle with that. We wrestle with whether I, I can really do that. Is that really what Jesus is asking of me? And all of my strength and all of my great horses and all of my power that I might have or might think that I have, am I willing with a humble heart to come before you to take my alabaster box of perfume and pour it out on your feet because you are worthy. This morning, there might be somebody who is watching online or they're here this morning and they have never said yes to Jesus. They've never said, I wanna give all that I am to Jesus. This life that I've lived has left me with uh, unsatisfied things. It's been meaningless, purposeless. I'm filled with anxiety and today... I want to waste my life on Jesus. Father, if they would just honor that this morning, pray to you, have a conversation with you about that. For those of us who have, who have been after Jesus for a long time, and we would say we would be considered in that circle, just like the disciples, just like Judas, but my love for Jesus is not extravagant at all. It's a little bit of this, but a whole lot of me. This morning, may we reconcile with you. May we come to a place where you would come to our rescue and say, we would say, Jesus, all of me is at your feet so that I can have all of you. Begin to transform our hearts and minds, our lives, so that we as a church here at South Hills might be a sweet aroma to those that believe and those that are perishing. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.